coming up in this podcast, AHG Takeover, FMG's Iron Bridge Project, House Prices and Apartment Sales, Who is WA's Biggest Manufacturer, Tourism Statistics and Indigenous Cultural Precinct Plans, PNN Bank Merger and our special report on agribusiness. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News, with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast and welcome Mark Beyer. Um, first up, Mark, late breaking news for the week was AP Eager's takeover bid for WA-based national automotive retailer, AHG. Yeah, look, always fun to see a uh, contested takeover battle and this looks like it will be one of those. So look, AHG, um, Automotive Holdings Group, uh, one of the most prominent companies in Western Australia. Uh, their car yards are all over the state. And as a result of the growth that they've done um, over many years, they have a strong national presence as well. Uh, But they've hit some problems in the last couple of years. Uh, One, the auto market has been very weak, and particularly in Western Australia. Um, So that's affected the business. Uh, They've also had some issues in their um, refrigerated logistics business, which they were trying to sell, um, but were unable to do so. So their most recent results, they actually announced a loss. Um, As a result, the share price has come off a lot, and AP Eagers, which is their uh, Brisbane-based rival, has swooped. And Um, one of their biggest shareholders already. They've already got about 28%, so that makes it very hard for anybody else to come over the top with a competing proposal. Mm. Um, It's a script-based takeover, so you you can't walk away with cash in your pocket. Um, but you become a shareholder in a bigger company. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting because um, you know the Wheatley family, Vern Wheatley, he set up um, AHG and, and ran it as a private company for many years before it listed on the ASX. Um, and then Bronte Housen ran it for a long time um, during a, you know, a, a run of growth nationally. Um, he retired only two or three years ago and so John McConnell is the new CEO who's sort of inherited some of the challenges that they're now facing. Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they respond to that. So a couple of things there. Um, I mean, I guess, first of all, my first observation is uh, it's a, uh, is there some opportunism in this bid? Uh, there's been quite a bit of news around that the shortened government, if, if elected, were considering making car retailers responsible for the amount of emissions uh, that effectively they, they would be, they'd have a quota that they could sell uh, in terms of the emission emissions that the cars that they sold produced. Now I know they've backed away from that idea, but do you think there's some? Has it put the spotlight on uh, <laughs> car retailers and the challenges they have there? Well, if if the shortened government goes down that path in any shape or form, it's one more challenge for AHG. But but equally, um, you'd imagine that would affect the AP Eagers business um, in a similar manner. Well, I was only thinking in terms of when you lob a bid, it's when people start to go, ooh, do I want to be here? <laughs> uh, the other thing I was observing is, again, we have a, a company that you know has rarely, in my view, uh, one of the rare ones that's gone national from WA and very successfully until, as you say, a few challenges. Um, and gone national in a retail space, I mean, that's also extremely unusual or has been, you know, Bunnings being a great example of a, of a positive one of there. Um, and yet here we are now, we, we've got this potential of losing it, uh, which I see as a little bit of a shame. 
it, it would be, yeah. Um, I mean, in a way, it throws the spotlight on the growth strategy that the group did employ and whether they paid over the top for the uh, car yards they did buy in other states and countries or in New Zealand as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the, the suspicion is that they paid top dollar in a buoyant market uh-huh. and have, have struggled to continue getting adequate returns from those businesses. And it's also one of those examples where a listed company comes in and buys lots of businesses that had been owned by the op- operators. Yeah. You know, and when a person, it's their business, they've got skin in the game, you know, they can get a lot of value from that kind of business. When you're part of a bigger corporate structure, it's hard to sustain the same efficiencies and the same returns. Okay, but I'll flip that around and go, AHG has a long track record of selling vehicles. And, you know, I'm not really imagining that selling vehicles in New Zealand or the East Coast is much different than here. So there's pretty much a kind of a basic kind of metric on the value of the land and how that works. And presumably AHG know those metrics go in there and make a purchase based on those metrics and maybe we're just seeing cyclically they've got it wrong but the longer term they'll be right which is assuming AP Eagers have got the same view. Yeah look absolutely that's the defence that AHG runs that they sort of hit some cyclical headwinds here Mm. um, as well as the stuff that's going on in their logistics business Um, but you know AP Eagers has been delivering better returns over the last year or two so they're well placed to uh, to pounce on AHG. Right. Fair enough. Um, now, Mark, big news during the week was FMG's $3.7 billion go-ahead for its Ironbridge Magnetite project. Yeah, look, this is something they've been working on for about five years. Um, and readers might not know, most iron ore that comes out of the Pilbara is hematite ore. You basically dig it up and put it on the ship. Uh, magnetite ore requires a lot of processing to upgrade it. Um, This is, in fact, what the Chinese iron ore industry is built on magnetite. Mm. Um, It's very low grade when it comes out of the ground. You put it through a processing plant and then actually comes out as a higher grade product, which is a perfect feedstock for steel mills. We've had two examples in this country, uh, the Sino-Iron project and the Carrara project in the Midwest. Both have been, uh, financially at least, big problems for their Chinese developers. They cost a lot to build in the first place and they haven't delivered the returns that the owners had been hoping for. So a lot of us thought we'd never see another magnetite project in this country. Um, And yet Fortescue has a habit of surprising people and doing things that we didn't expect. Um, They've been running um, a pilot plant, but they've spent $500 million. So Greg Lilliman, Uh, the chief operating officer at Fortescue was asked about this and he said are you at risk of repeating the problems that others have faced and he said well no we're very confident because we spent all this time and money Mm. um, running a uh, quite substantial pilot project Um, so they believe it's going to stack up so the upshot is that they'll have a product that'll be 67% iron um, whereas at the moment what FMG is mining is sort of sub 60% so they'll have a high-grade product. Uh, they've got a couple of partners here, um, Formosa Steel and Bow Steel. Um, so they'll help pay the bills. Um, and it adds to um, this very buoyant level of activity in the Pilbara and in the iron ore industry. Yeah, no, it's fascinating, isn't it? And um, 
I guess, uh, I mean, we have heard before people say, yes, we can do it in all sorts of, you know, things that require a bit of a technological shift. Um, there's a lot of magnetite ore, though, in the northwest, uh, you know, <laughs> which has been left in the ground apart from, as you say, Sino-Iron Project and, and further down south, uh, the uh, Carrara. Um, I guess what I'm, what I'm wondering is... Uh, why and, and and my gut I guess that the, the truth is FMG's own hematite um, deposits are are that low in 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 their own um, uh, in iron, iron, content. iron content that that in fact they kind of they need to look elsewhere don't they yeah I mean look they they were they were talking about the potential to blend mm-hmm. the the magnetite product with their existing um, ore production yeah so they will have a more flexibility in the product they can deliver to the steel mills. Yep. Um, but they've also got the Relawana project, which is the other new development, and that has a higher grade compared to some of their existing mines. Gotcha. Um, so they would be arguing that they don't need this ore from Iron Bridge for blending, um, but it's that it stacks up on its own. Gotcha. It certainly adds another benefit for them. And uh, obviously they get a premium for that, uh, that percentage. Um, yeah, well, look, you know, and uh, the other part of it is... They're using WA gas to, to do this. They've got their own energy, fantastic. Um, and and my take on that is, I, I'm just wondering, when we had this, the hoo-ha around the EPA uh, just recently, uh, and that got pushed down. I mean, I wonder how that, that kind of hoo-ha might have affected the thinking at FMG. If we don't get this project up and running, maybe someone's going to come along. and Because it's high, it's energy intensive, right? Mm-hmm. And even though it's saving the energy from being used somewhere else, and potentially dirtier energy being used somewhere else, I still think I wonder if they thought, let's press the button on this and get it moving. Anyway, all speculation. Um, Mark, mixed news in property with house prices down, but apartment sales surging. Look, we have the latest monthly figures out from CoreLogic showing another fall in median house prices in Perth, uh, down 0.4% in March. Um, I'll go on the negative first. Um, from the peak in 2014, uh, Perth's median house price is down 18.1%. So a very substantial correction yep. um, in that area. And yet, um, when you dig a bit closer into the numbers, and, and Rewa likes to do this, uh, in the month of March, 30% of Perth suburbs actually had an increase in house values, and another 15% they were stable. So, and, and the broad geographic pattern is that the, the more established mm-hmm. inner suburbs are actually doing quite well. Yeah. Um, it's the outer suburbs that are really hurting at the moment. Um, Can so I just uh, add in? Uh, we, we, we might mention some of the banking, sorry, some of the bank royal commission stuff later. But, but uh, I was at an event uh, this morning actually with the banking ombudsman, uh, and uh, he said the a number of complaints coming out of WA around mortgage stress and the issues they're dealing with are around twenty one percent of the national uh, complaints they're dealing with. So twice what you'd expect out of WA. So I suspect we're seeing two markets here. The the inner market, as you're talking about, which is fairly stable and okay, and the outer market, which is in a lot of trouble. Well, yes. And in fact, there was a report out during the week from Moody's. They look at delinquencies yep. in mortgage loans, and they pointed once again to WA as an area where there's some concerns. Yeah. Um, but look, you know, 
not all bad. And the other area that's quite positive, Dan Wilkie has done some work on the apartment market, and he's getting some very positive uh, feedback from people in that space. Um, people like Paul Blackburn and other developers who are seeing um, a, a very healthy level of demand mm. for um, purchases of new apartments. So that's nice to see. Yeah, um, and, good story. and they're seeing that's sufficient to allow them to confidently push ahead with new developments. Which is, of course, construction and construction jobs, and and that's uh, that's a good thing because that, that housing construction market has been in, in, in a challenged position. Very. Um, now, Mark, we had a bit of a cheeky question in the intro today. Who is WA's biggest manufacturer? Now, if I was to have hazarded a guess, I would have said shipbuilder Austell, but uh, I'd be wrong, wouldn't I? You would be. There was a study that came out during the week from IBIS. Uh, they sort of crunched the numbers on lots of different industries and they looked at manufacturing. And, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about the death of manufacturing in Australia. And when you look at industries like the automotive industry, you know, that's pretty true. Um, so I think the, what the IBIS study did was challenge people's perception about, well, what is manufacturing? Mm. Um, in WA, Gold Corporation. They're a gold refiner. Yep. You know, they, they run the Perth Mint and, uh, and, and they refine basically all the gold that's dug out of the ground in WA. And well beyond. And, and a lot of other gold, yeah. So look, you know, they're, they're turning a um, stuff that's dug out of the ground into a refined product. That's manufacturing. Yeah. Um, a bit different yeah. from what a lot of people <laughs> might have thought. <laughs> so how um, does that the, differ from, you know, turning bauxite into alumina or turning... Well, go on. Well... <laughs> Alcoa is also on the list. Okay. So they also rate as one of the state's uh, bigger manufacturers. I mean, the other group that sits at the top of this list, which it's ranked by revenue rather than jobs, yep. so that's significant, um, oil refineries. Yeah, of course. So uh, Caltex is number one nationally. Uh, BP, which operates the Quinana oil refinery, yep. um, they sit high on the list um, as Australia's biggest manufacturers. So, the, so it's anyone who adds some value somewhere along the line? I mean, is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, that's essentially uh, the way it works and, and turns a product into something else. Yeah. Um, hmm. And a bit different from, in fact, I was discussing this uh, with the, the journalists. And so something like Woodside runs a big uh, gas liquefaction plant. But basically that just freezes the gas. It doesn't sort of transform it into something else. So they don't qualify. Yeah, right. Uh, but something like Alcoa, which turns bauxite into alumina, um, and then further down the chain becomes aluminium, yep. uh, that does qualify. So we're going to see some of this with lithium, obviously. We're going to go f have... Uh or people who are um, processing ore into lithium uh, concentrate, which then becomes the hydroxide. Yeah, okay. So, so we're going to see some of that. Yeah. Uh, I guess Iron Bridge doing a magnetite project would come into that, would it? That's an interesting one. I'm not, not sure how that is qualified. Sino-iron in your list? <laughs> it, no, it did not make the... Okay, uh, so they don't it, was, it was a top 100 list for Australia. So they don't um, count it. I mean, the other name you did mention at the start there was Austal. Yeah. So they are on the list. Good. So yes, so they they build aluminium and, yeah. and steel vessels. Yeah. Um, Which is what ships. I would consider traditional manufacturing. Yeah. Um, and look, you know, another big um, employer of people is is building materials. Yeah. So the, the, the brickyards and and all the other 
building materials factories that the groups like BGC and Borrell run. Yeah, yeah that's a significant part of manufacturing. Mm. So not as big as it used to be, um, albeit WA was never particularly big in manufacturing. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting study and just sort of makes you think about how industries are categorised. Yeah, and look, I'm still I'm curious here because uh, and I guess even with gold, right, I mean, they get it. It comes as a fairly refined thing when it arrives at the gold, at the mint, doesn't it? I mean, they, they, they're actually just refining it to the nth degree, are they not? I mean, it, it's, it's they're not getting ore. They're actually getting gold, aren't they? It's certainly not what many people would think of as manufacturing. No. I'll agree with that. <laughs> but uh, for the boffins at Ibis... They, they, uh, yeah. And then the I'm, thinking, I'm thinking LNG, you know, LNG, they remove a lot of impurities and all sorts of stuff that comes out of LNG before they liquefy it. Um, so, you know, is just because it gets unmanufactured at the other end, <laughs> does it mean it's... Mm, anyway, okay. I guess you've got to have, you've got to have uh, categories, don't you? Otherwise, it's hard to work things out. Um, now, Mark, on a very different field, the latest tourism statistics are out. Uh, and their release preceded an announcement for a $650 million Indigenous cultural precinct. So what do we know? Okay. So listeners would know that tourism has not been performing well in Western Australia for quite some time. Uh, that while nationally there's been strong growth in the number of tourists coming here, uh, WA has not really been sharing in that. The latest numbers gave us some encouragement. Um, this is um, annual figures. Number of international visitors to WA was up just over 2%. But when you then carve that number up, that actually includes a lot of business travellers. Um, when you look at holiday makers, that number was actually up 12%. Mm. So that was a, a very encouraging number. Uh, the other concern, though, is on the spending. Uh, for international visitors overall, their spending in WA actually fell last year, um, despite growth in the number of visitors. Um, whereas for holiday makers, once again, that was pretty positive. There was an increase in spending. Um, but Have we just got more affordable? I mean, is it, is that, because that includes ho hotel rates and all that sort of thing too, doesn't it? That would be part of it, yeah. yeah right. and, and so certainly the part of the fall off is the number of business travellers that come here. Yeah. So that certainly has an impact on it. Um, overall though, we're still underperforming the rest of the country. Yeah. So the, the rate of growth that's being achieved in other places is much better than Western Australia. So a lot of debate around what can be done to improve this. And in fact, in our podcast last week, um, we, we spoke about the example of the, the wave park um, on the foreshore in Melville, uh, where the government said they were not going to approve that. That was one of many projects that the Tourism Council said had been um, caught up in red tape for a long time. So they were very keen to see new attractions developed in mm. WA. In fact, they said it had been something like 25 years since a major new attraction, a major new tourist attraction had been built here on their definition. Mm, okay. Clearly not including I, Optus Stadium. Yeah, or mm. the, uh, the the ocean, Indian Ocean Drive up to Cervantes. Uh, they think they're talking about somewhere you can go and do something. Right. So one group that has, in fact, come up with a new idea is what's called the Australian Biome Project. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a very ambitious and very early stage idea. 
that it involves a series of very large domes being built on the Burswood Peninsula um, near the stadium. And within each of these domes, it would be a controlled environment where you could showcase uh, the features of Western Australia. So if you wanted to see the arid Pilbara um, or the, the lush Kimberley, um, there would be a, a mini version of that in, built inside these domes. Mm. The inspiration for it, uh, people might be familiar with the Eden Project in Cornwall in southern England. Um, it's an amazing development. So you can be there in southern England and be walking amidst a rainforest you know, in this artificial environment underneath a giant dome. Yeah. Now, you know... And similarly, there's a, the gardens there in Singapore, which I am familiar with, which do a very good job. Yeah. Now, look, the people behind this, uh, they include Adam Barnard. Now, he um, used to run and recently sold out of Adam's Group, the mm-hmm. big um, uh, bus, and bus tour operator. Um, now, they've put a number of $650 million on this, um, they haven't got the funding locked in, um, and let alone approvals and so on. But look, it's certainly a, a an ambitious um, and quite visionary idea. Um, certainly attracted a lot of interest from our readers um, and got quite a few comments. So, you know, hats off to people that, that come up with these ideas and mm. have the vision to pursue something new for Perth. It'd be great if they could put that you know, Aboriginal uh, museum there at the same time or, or located next to it, that would make sense to me. I only have some sympathy for the first people who uh, bought into the first apartment project on that peninsula <laughs> who have since seen Crown expand. They've had a dozen, other, you know, well, not dozen, but several other apartment projects next to them. Then the uh, the Optus Stadium, <laughs> and now potentially this, it'd be like a ten years of endless building. But anyway, we've had a few uh, comments attached to the article from people living in those apartments yeah, right. who've expressed that very concern, <laughs> and in fact, even come up with some solutions. Said Harrison Island. Yeah, it makes sense. Why don't actually. you build it on Harrison Island instead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does so, make sense. Although logistically that may be difficult, but it makes sense. So lots of discussion to come. Yes, but, good. Um, now, Mark, uh, lastly, in sort of the news stuff that we're looking at, um, PNN Bank revealed plans to merge with a smaller East Coast group. Uh, can you update our listeners? Yeah, so older listeners might remember the days when there were lots of building societies and credit unions that provided alternatives to banks. Um, most of those have disappeared, um, been merged and then acquired by the banking groups. Yep. Um, so. P&N, they're now a bank, but they're still customer-owned. They're a mutual. So they've decided to merge with a group out of uh, New South Wales called BCU, which used to be known as the Banana Banana Coast Coast. Credit (laughs) Union. (laughs) Set up by a bunch of banana farmers many years ago. Big industry in that part of the world, of course. Um, And look, Andrew Hadley, who's the chief executive, he will be running the group. So look, combined assets of about $6 billion. Mm. So, yeah, it's a substantial operation. Uh, about two-thirds of that comes out of uh, P&N Bank. Um, look, one of these examples where uh, they're hoping that by coming together they'll have the, the financial strength um, and they'll be able to invest a lot more in sort of their back-end systems and technology that allows them to be more efficient and compete with the big banks. Um, that's the goal. Yeah. So, no, it's fa- they can achieve that. It's a fascinating evolution, and, and just thinking of that history you mentioned there, you know, I mean, there was 
I think in the eighties there was a bit of bad stuff that went with credit unions and and credit societies, uh, but um, you know, I can't remember, was it teachers? Teachers credit got in a bit of trouble. Um, but then we had, you know, PBS was PBS, wasn't it? Became Perth Building Society. Perth Building Society became uh, Challenge Bank. Challenge Bank, which eventually became the West Australian. Well, it got taken over by Westpac. Um, and then well, well, State West was another. Sorry. Yeah, well, State West, I think, combined with Home Building Society. Yes. And that got taken over by Bank of Queensland. Right, okay. Um, of course it was. You also had Town and Country Building Society, yep. which the McCusker family backed. Yep. That became part of ANZ Bank. Yep. So there's a whole succession. And PNN, of course, Bank was Police and Nurses. That's right. And I'm t- sure they had a merger in there as well, didn't they? Yeah, okay. You're testing me there. Yeah, I can't remember. Okay, I thought it was something smaller, but uh, yeah, it looked fascinating. And, and, you know, why have those things happened and and why why have mutuals gone off the boil there? Um and why, or, or, or had to make themselves into banks rather than staying as credit unions. It's quite a fascinating tale. I wonder well, whether we're swinging back. Ironic, given you know, Friday morning, both you and I were at uh, panel discussions yeah. about the aftermath of the Banking Royal Commission. Correct. So perhaps it tells us that the banks used, have used their financial muscle to become dominant in the market, and yet now there's a bit of a pushback from people um, yeah. Well, I mean, they've, they've squeezed out the competition. Uh, regulation, you know, the more we regulate, the harder it is. The reason why these small groups have to merge and change is because the cost of regulation is so high. To protect consumers, we regulate and we actually increase, we, we narrow the choices and increase the cost of, you know, it's, it's an endless circle, Mark. Um, our special report this week is on agribusiness. What has Matt McKenzie found? Yeah, so it's a, it's an important industry for Western Australia. Um, part of it is an update on our uh, BNIQ listing of the agribusiness groups in WA um, and who's who in that sector. Um, so sitting on top of that list is CBH Group, the big grain handling organisation yep. now headed by Jimmy Wilson, ex-BHP. Um, you know, very large business, annual revenue about $4 billion, and with these... Uh, record grain harvest we had last year. That's probably going to grow even more in their next financial results. Um, but look, a whole bunch of people like um, Bunge, and uh, which is a big global group in the grain market, Plum Grove, uh, which is sort of a Perth-founded business, also yeah. in that grain market. Traders, aren't they? They're really traders. That's right. Yeah. Um, there's um, you know the Geraldton Fishermen's Cooperative, very substantial business in that uh, the lobster market, um, Galati Group. Very substantial business, annual revenue, nearly $300 million. Yeah, there you go. So Tony Gallardi there in his little singlet, he's uh, running a very substantial <laughs> yeah, business yeah. with his family. Got the pinstripe suit in the, uh, behind the door. Another fascinating one that you and I have mentioned a bit in the past, AAA Egg Company. Yes. Now, most people wouldn't know this, but that's you know, a bunch of people out of Perth are big players nationally in the egg industry. Yeah. 
um, so through that triple A group, you know, and from got, the privatisation of Golden Eggs, right? The state, the state uh, owned egg that's right. agency, if you want to call that. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, that's a group, triple A egg company, annual revenue of one hundred and eighty million dollars. Yeah, there you go. Um, so so very substantial. Um, look, you know, Graham Late's group, Milne Agri Group. So you know, so Matt's gone through sort of who's who in the space. Another one that we've discussed a bit in the past, um, Austral Fisheries. Um, headed up by David Carter. You know, yep. They're a global leader um, in sustainable fishing and use of technology in the fishing industry. Yep. Um, so a great story. And also one thing that Matt's looked at in some detail is the timber industry. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening down in the southwest. Um, the, the, the native logging, of course, is, is uh, well, is, I think, totally finished or, or close to, um, but there's a very substantial industry down there built around plantation timber. Um, and there's a number of groups um, who are coming together to look at opportunities to do more value-adding um, and make that an even more substantial operation. A lot of it is wood-chipped. Um, is that manufacturing, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, West Pine, um, yeah, interesting company, half-owned by West Farmers, um, got a big pine plantation. They've just spent $8 million upgrading their operations. So... Turning, uh, turning trees into uh, cut lumber. Yep. Not sure if that's manufacturing. Yeah. Laminates. They do some laminates and such, don't they? Well, they used to. Uh, well, Westbeam, yeah. they would definitely qualify as a manufacturer, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah, so lots going on in the timber industry and uh, all in our next uh, edition um, and up on our website next week. I look forward to that. Thanks, Mark. Entries for the 2019 Rising Stars Awards program are now open. Rising Stars Awards provide an annual platform to showcase organisations that have sustained solid growth rates. The Rising Stars Awards program is open to all private or public companies based in Western Australia, large and small, old and new. The awards program is not just for new companies, it's for any WA company that has shown growth over the past few years. If you're one of these, we welcome your registration for a 2019 Rising Stars Award. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Beyer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.